hey, Marche, we've got Maggie on the line. What do you want to ask her? Growing up in the social media age, we don't have to wait for anything. Talk to us about how to cultivate patience because for investors like myself who are younger, that's a skill that we're going to have to know in and out. I think the biggest takeaway is you mentioned recreating yourself and what you have to be in order to have this type of career. And that's a long-term vision that you have to have in your head. I think if you break it down, okay, how do I show up today in order to have that long-term goal? And I do have a vision board. It reminds me every day, okay, why am I doing here? Why am I showing this office and, and the screen and the Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. having another meeting, investor meeting, and having another? It's because I want to fall in love that process in order to, to see my vision in a few years. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. And we got two amazing women on the line with us today. We got Maggie Chung as our experienced investor and Marche Smith as our aspiring investor. So, ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank, Thank you, Brian. Welcome. Super excited to be on with Maggie today. Yep. I'm super excited to have you both on. Here we go. And typically what we do, if you've never listened to the show, bring the experienced investor on first. And Maggie, that's you today. So welcome and excited to talk with you today. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us an idea of your background and how you got into multifamily. Yeah, Brian. So I was um, I was a career auditor. I worked in financial firms and large banks in Wall Street. So that was my last job. And I was a career auditor basically for my entire life, 13 13 plus years. And at certain points, it just hits me that I need to make a change in my life. And going up the corporate ladder didn't make any more sense. And that was just really because it's a pivotal in my life. It's just really, I have my kids. And I think that's a lot, a lot of stories, similar story in other people. Yep. Uh, but for me, that was where uh, I realized, okay, going the corporate ladder didn't make any sense anymore in my journey and my family. And it doesn't give me joy anymore. I'm a little choked up about it too, still. So because <laughs> uh, I'm a very emotional person, but. I know that at that time I had to make a change. Otherwise I will not be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Wall Street as an auditor now, did you actually work on Wall Street or for the Wall Street firms? I worked for Goldman Sachs so that they were on, okay. on Wall Street. So I'm not going to pull up Google Maps, <laughs> yet, but I have been to Wall Street once. I took a picture with the bull, you know, and that's it. That's all I know of Wall Street. So. That's only the only problem when you talk to the auditor, they have to be precise. Technically, we're about two, two plus <laughs> removed from Wall Street, but uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, um, no fact checking here. Fact checking <laughs> is on. You're auditor on Wall Street, or you're doing well, doing that for 13 years, and you have kids. And all of a sudden, 
climbing the corporate ladder doesn't do the same for you. Hopefully I, I don't pull those emotional strings too much, but <laughs> what, was, what was really going through your mind, you know, as you're going to work with kids at home? Yeah, I think I, I started to realize like that's I try to be the best at everything I can. So I did have a lot of joy in my career before kids. And that was uh, my pride. And I go give it 110%. But as soon as my my kids, I know my priorities shifted. So I couldn't be at best at both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And just it conflict with each other. And I was not happy in either world. And I just had to figure out how to, I know my family life is much, much more important. So I just had to figure out how to create something that I love to do and uh, a path that I'm willing another career or something, but also be present in my family life. I appreciate you for sharing that. That's that's amazing. It's it's something that I think a lot of people go through where the career and the family, I, I think for, for me anyways, up first, I thought that doing better at my career would by default be better for my family. You know, making more money would would be better for the family. And there came a point for me as well where it looked like the two were on opposite ends of the spectrum where the, the more I put into the career, the more the family, I'm going to use the word suffer, but I don't really mean that. But the, you know, they're, they end up being on opposite sides of the spectrum. I think a lot of people see that same thing. So how did you decide that, uh, you know, multifamily would be the way to go or real estate in general would be the way to go? It was not overnight because I, I think for many people, I think it's always start with a bug, which is the purple book, the rich dad, poor yeah. dad. And I read that like many, many years ago, but we ha- I have no idea how to apply it. Like, yeah. It makes sense to me. And it's like, so real estate is always in the back of my mind and my husband's mind. We always try to figure out how to scale our portfolio. And we have single family portfolio at that time. Mm-hmm. And we were just figuring out how to get more. And especially uh, we live in New Jersey. So we are trying to figure out, okay, how do we get more units under our belts? And that was the, that was our initial thinking. So I did quit my job like four years ago because I because of the family. Mm-hmm. So one of us, because we were work, both working 80 hours plus a week, a week, and we didn't see a life that we want to create without kids. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot of so hours. We, exactly. And I mean, I, I feel like I work more hours now because, but it's at least something I love to do. And I know how to navigate it and also figure out how to, it's more flexible to my schedule. In a sense, like I mentioned, it wasn't overnight. I give uh, myself and I asked my husband also, like, give me a year to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Give me a year in real estate and figure out how to start this next career. Because It is like graduating in college again. Yeah. You're starting a new career mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out, okay, where are you in this real estate career? And that requires you to try out different things, read different books and apply it and apply yourself. So that whole year I became a real estate agent. I did like cold calling and door knocking. Uh, I also tried, um, I also shadow somebody, a builder. Um, she will also happen to be a female and she has her accounting degree and she left her job four years ago. So I see little by little, I see myself, okay, there is a path and there's a path for me. I just yeah. have to figure out how. That was like a one year journey mm-hmm. doing, reaching out, talking to people, going to meetups, going to conferences and trying out different ways to make this real estate work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. It, it is almost like getting a degree in, in doing this. Now, one question I have for you, I mean, you were, you were an auditor before. How did your previous career or what skills from your previous career were you able to leverage to get into this space? 
Yeah, I for me, I think I approach it like almost like methodologically. Mm-hmm. An audit mindset when you audit a business or certain thing, you look at how that business work from the beginning to end, yeah. and you try to identify the different types of risks. And we call this something. We have a term that calls scoping. Mm-hmm. So when I go to real estate, I was like, okay, we got to scope out where are the different avenues to make money, yeah. <laughs> and and how does it work? And we try to figure out, okay, does it work for me because of my skill set, and does it does it work for what I want to do and what I can uh, contribute and impact? That's kind of how I look into it. I, yeah. I try out, study and try out, study and try out, and different things, and then come back together. And well, my board will probably be my husband. I was like, hey, this mm-hmm. is what I found. And this is what I think we should go into. And we had to figure out how to get to the next step. So. Yeah, perfect. Love it. Love it. Now, your your company right now is Sage Investment Group. Who else is, is part of that? Yes, I work with two other amazing ladies. Um, it's Their name is Lana Choi and also Jin Wang. Mm-hmm. And they are also former auditors. And accountants. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we just like we work well together. But mm-hmm. even though we're kind of have a similar background, we have like different ways that we contribute um, mm-hmm. because there's things that we are good at, and one one person's good at, and the other person may not. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we're complementary each other. So. Nice, nice, similar backgrounds, but uh, you know different different skills. So yes. I, I think a, a lot of people do the same thing. They they find others that have complementary skill sets. And I think that's the best way to do it. You know, if, if you're good at, at underwriting, you can find somebody who's good at marketing or, or, you know, salesmanship type stuff to round out the team. So, well, great. I think we brushed upon this earlier, but I always like to ask people about their, their motivation. So what is your big burning why? Yeah, it's definitely my family. I definitely want to do, I think more to that, uh, to myself, I want to prove that I can do something better. I can mm-hmm. grow a path, a career outside of corporate world, and I can make it work. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I know I can, and I feel like I can have a lot more impact this way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you guys have done extremely well so far. I mean, you know, it looks like 2,400 units in, in two years. I would say you you check that box, you know, you, you've got, you know, done on that one and now move to, to next level stuff. Speaking of the, the portfolio, tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what type of stuff you do, pick a deal you want to highlight or give us kind of your overall philosophy of, of what you invest in. Yeah. I, so our portfolio is about 2,400 units. Um, we have about 400 we're actively managed. Mm-hmm. And about and the rest of it, we co-sponsor. We work with other partners. Mm-hmm. Um, a portfolio usually we look for B and C class properties mm-hmm. where some value add in a good community, and we just need to someone just had to go in there, spruce things up, put in a nice playground, work yeah. in the community, and just I think that's another way to also I, I like even though I'm an account uh, auditor, it's mm-hmm. all metrics and numbers. At the end of the day, there's a great joy if I can create a good community and product that everyone enjoy and the tenants enjoy. So. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like you said earlier, you know, when you, when you go into audit, you, I forget the word you use, but you're, you're, looking, yeah, you're scoping, you're, you, yeah. you look at the property, you do your scope and you're asking, you know, what can we do to make the income better? What can we do to add income streams? And, you know, a park, it's one of those things that there's not a direct income stream from the park, but it increases 
your stickiness. You know, your tenants tend to stay longer if you can create that community. A park is just part of that. But if you can create that community, tenants tend to renew their leases and they will tend to pay, you know, a little higher rent without complaining, you know, because they have that community coming in and doing that scope and looking at it from a community aspect. I mean, that's something you took from auditing. You're doing your scope. How can we, how can we make this place the best possible property and boom, executing. So I love Mm -hmm. it. I love it. What's next for you guys? Yeah, uh, we are uh, always looking at uh, different deals where I have a few in the pipeline trying to read out. And that's that's kind of my job in their business. I look at deals and and that have an initial take before I pass it on to uh, my my partners who are our lead underwriter to take it a little further, uh, Lana. And also my dark partners, um, Jen, she brings in the capital. So she reveals it from the capital stack side. So. All right. So, so more continue to do more of what you've been doing essentially and getting yes. to more good deals. Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk with Marche. So Marche, welcome. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. And thanks for coming on today. Appreciate of course. it. So do us a favor and tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, about me, I am originally from Savannah, Georgia currently located and focusing on Charlotte, North Carolina and South Carolina as well. Um, I am a full-time entrepreneur and I have been such since I graduated from college. So we recently just celebrated five years in business. Um, Mm -hmm. And just from a little bit, I always knew that I wanted to own my own business. I think at the time and at the age, I didn't know what all that entailed or what even that business would be. Mm -hmm. But I can just recall like watching other women business owners on TV and saying like, hey, I want to do that. So Went to college, took the route that, you know, they say we're supposed to take. And luckily at that time, my grandparents gave me a laptop mm-hmm. when I graduated from high school. And I used that computer and the few dollars that I did have as a student at the time to invest in a discounted version of Photoshop. So mm-hmm. <laughs> purchased the software, <laughs> YouTube, YouTube yep. taught myself how to use that software and mm-hmm. I'm just always been super creative. I've always had like an eye for like very fine details and things that most people don't really notice. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really helped me. I started out as a computer scientist, not because I loved it, but because it made sense. Like that's like, okay, take this route and you'll make a lot of money. Pays the bills. I wasn't happy. Exactly. But I wasn't happy. And I'm like, man, if I can't even last a semester, in computer, as a computer science major, I can't imagine doing this for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So dropped my major. I'm like, okay, what am I good at? I'm creative and I'm good with computers. Like I love computers, but I love them after someone has like programmed it for me. Like, mm-hmm. please program it first and then I can use it. So I don't want to be the person that's writing the code. So yeah. kind of put those two things together and landed on graphic design. So mm-hmm. I own a branding and marketing firm mm-hmm. here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We work with government agencies and corporations and small businesses to really just provide them with a A to B solution. Mm-hmm. And um, that is what I've been doing so far. However, just like Maggie and just about every other real estate investor, <laughs> it's like the quintessential <laughs> story. We read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it's like, man, like this makes sense. Like I love this. And it, it just triggered something inside of me. I've always like had that curiosity about money and mm-hmm. about wealth and about literacy surrounding that topic. So 
he broke it down in a way to where it like, okay, I get this. Not only do I get this, but I like this. It makes yeah. sense. And it's like, how do I do this? So for me, it took a couple of years to really shift that mindset. And that's just a huge piece of everything. And to believe that I can actually do this. Yeah. I can really, really do this. So since then I have just, you know, they say caught the real estate bug. Mm-hmm. I've become a licensed broker. I'm studying day and night under um, mentors and under Google and under Investopedia and all the different sources that I can find information from. And that passion is just growing and growing and growing. So I knew that I wanted to get into real estate, but, you know, when I learned about what you teach, Brian, like syndication Mm -hmm. and like how to actually acquire apartment buildings without being a millionaire or a billionaire, I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, this makes sense. Yeah. Not only does it make sense, but this is what Robert Kiyosaki talks about, like forced appreciation and things of it that is. nature. So I went to a workshop and I'm like, this is it. This yeah. is what I want to do. And since that day, I've been doing it or learning how to do it. Yeah. So it's a process I mean, for sure. It's a journey. But yeah. when you love something, it really shows. So I'm it's looking forward to my future. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I look forward to seeing you guys. You, you do some great things, but just, just to... to Jump in on a couple of key points there. You know, yeah. I reread Rich Dad Poor Dad after starting mm-hmm. syndication. Mm-hmm. He doesn't use this the word syndication, but he talks about syndications a lot. And he talks yeah. about multifamily a lot. You know, yeah. I think Absolutely. he does use the word private placement, you know, instead of syndication. And so, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, that is something that he directly talks about. And like you, it took me and, you know, Maggie said the same thing. It took her a year of, you know, full on trying to figure things out. It took me a long time to figure it out as well. It took me a long time to shift my mindset. Yeah. Um, I remember almost 20 years ago reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad for the first time and thinking, wow, commercial real estate sounds exciting, but <laughs> I can't do that, you know? Right. And, what did I do? I, I decided, well, I can probably buy a single family house. And rent that out. And that's what I did. Yep. You know, so it, it took it probably took me 10, 10 or 12 years to realize that I could actually do multifamily after that. So mm-hmm. um, you know, if I if I if I had a reset button, you know, I would I would work on my mindset, you know, 15, 20 years ago and try to make myself believe that I could do it a lot earlier. But uh anyway, right. lots of lots of I good points that. there and you know, a lot of similarities with uh you know with, with my journey as well, where it's it's all a it's a slow mindset shift and it's a learn about what we're doing so we can do better and do it well. So becoming anyway. a new person, a, yeah. an entirely new person in and of yourself. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Recreate yourself. So, um, and that's it. Marcia, what is your big burning? Why my big burning? Why is purpose. Mm-hmm. I honestly and truly believe that there is a divine and grand purpose on my life. And I feel this reverential responsibility to honor that purpose, to walk in that purpose and fulfill that purpose. As grueling as it is, because it's so tough, Mm -hmm. I just feel like there's so much that's riding on my back and on my curtail. And I just feel like the better I become, the better I am for other people. I realize that the worst things I go to grow through, like that is making me that much better of a person for someone else. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but 
like Maggie said, it's family. Yeah. It's family. And really wanting to create my life actively as opposed to being handed a life and just kind of going with the flow. I want to have a life choice to where I can choose like, okay, what school do I want my kids to go to? What kind of food do I want them to eat? Do I want to have a nanny or not? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> 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 having that option and being able to make those choices instead of just having a life where you have to take what you could get because it's the only choice you had. So yeah. that's really my why. That's think, what gets think, me up in the morning. Yeah. yeah. I think we'd settle for just a housekeeper, you know, somebody that comes in and cleans house for us, you know, but please. Uh, Full yeah. the laundry. Like I cannot stand laundry. I have a laundry butler now. They come and like wash it. They pick it up, wash it, fold it, bring it back, and then it still sits in the bag for like three weeks. I'm like, okay, yeah. can you just put it in the drawer as well? Like <laughs> just one step further. Once, yeah, you know. So my, I was super excited to see somebody post about a laundry service um, in northern yeah. Utah, where it's you know, and I'm in Idaho Falls and I was so disappointed when I found out I hadn't reached Idaho Falls yet, you know, and it's just like, there's not a pick up and take your laundry service here yet. And it's just one of those things. As soon as there is though, as soon as there is, it's like, sign us up. Highly recommend. Yeah. And for you too, Maggie, you and the kids, no more laundry. So I know I I have piles and piles of dishes. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. For us, it's, I mean, laundry and dishes, I think, I think both those things. Yeah, but anyway, you know, eventually we'll we'll have that uh, have that outsourced. But uh, for sure. Um, anyway, we come to my favorite part of this show where I say, "Hey, Marche, we've got Maggie on the line. What do you want to ask her?" Awesome. I'm, I have a ton of questions to ask you, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good question asker, so I hope you're okay with that. Just start out. Absolutely. I, I think this. Awesome. Thank you. This really just. Piggyback off of what we were just talking about, like when it comes to yourself and becoming a new you and recreating yourself and your mindset. Like, talk to us about some of the self-imposed roadblocks. Talk about some of the biggest ones you faced and how you overcame them. Yeah, we call them what will happen in your woman group, kind of, and we call them head trash. Head trash. Okay. And I, I still do. I still have them. And it's it's really, it, I mean, if, in the real estate, especially commercial real estate, in the beginning, I do have a lot of it. It's something because it's, it is a male-dominant industry. Now it's better. Uh, I've seen a lot more women in the industry. I love it. And in the beginning, it was really hard for me to see that because you walk into a lot of conferences, you just see all these men in dress and suits, and you're yep. like this yep. little tiny little girl trying to get there, right? Yeah. So even but, when you go on the websites, it's the same yeah. thing as you just go on a website. It's yeah. tough. Exactly. It's intimidating. So, <laughs> it, it is very intimidating, but, and that generates a lot of head trash in your head, and uh, you yeah. you have to be very cautious about it. And you have, and I try to do get out of that by physically taking a walk or get on a bike. And be like, get out of that mental state. You have to get out of it. Yeah. You have to shut that down. And you know that it's it's not real. It's just in your head. And usually something that helps me to get out of that is just, okay, what can I do today to get myself better? Because I know, and, and you're in real estate. So you, you probably know, you get a lot of no's, right? So you know, I don't take it internally when brokers tell me no or hang up on me, I just know that, okay, I didn't do a good job on that call. I have to do a better job next one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the to... hanging up on you thing is normal. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Just making sure that it wasn't just. Oh yeah. Uh, you, actually, actually, uh, I don't know. A couple of times, I I called him back right away. I was like, "Did you hang up on me?" <laughs> Oh, God. oh my God. I, make I don't laugh. think you meant to, but you accidentally hung up on me. Yeah. And he laughed and then we're like, okay. And then and I shoot him a, an email afterward. I was very professional and I uh, just, you know, keep on mm-hmm. keeping in touch with them and also monitoring what listing he has and giving feedback. And it's a process and getting, getting used to it. So our first deal that we actually took down, it didn't it didn't happen until a year and a half in. And after underwriting 150 deals, looking at 150 deals uh, wow. before we got a first multifamily deal. And that's basically putting in their effort and the process. Uh, but each time we said no, we learned like what what it is. Uh we reflect that, and that's that's the thing in audit as well. We reflect what's wrong, what happened, and how do we make better. How do we create a better system? How do we improve ourselves to so we show up? Okay, they will take us seriously. I do a lot of self-evaluation and self-auditing. Mm-hmm. So I look at that. <laughs> and that's how I completely hear you, Moshe. When you hear that head trash, you have to figure out how to get out of that because you're not going to be able to move the next step or move the next needle in order to get to one year or two year or three year goal. So mm-hmm. I like that term too, head trash. That's exactly what it is. You know, you you get <laughs> these limiting beliefs or these these thoughts that you're not good enough or you know, posture syndrome type things. And it ha- I think it happens to everybody. One yeah. of those things where you just got to get rid of it. Take out the trash. Yep. And Maggie oh, I like, love that. That's yeah. so good. Take out, use that, Maggie. Take yeah. out the head trash. That was so good, Brian. <laughs> so, there you go. Boom. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop moment there. Good. For sure. And, uh, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, take, <laughs> just take it out. Take out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. No, no, no. That's so yeah. good. That's so good. And just hearing you talk about how long it took you to land your first deal and how many deals you had to underwrite to get to just that first one. Mm-hmm. So even just dig a little bit deeper into that. Me being a millennial, me being young and growing up in the social media age, we don't have to wait for anything. Like <laughs> we have 5G now, like they do our laundry for us. I mean, you know? We yeah. got Google. Like we don't know what it's like to have to wait for anything. We have instant message. We don't know what it's like to send a letter in the mail and have to wait for it to get there and come back. So talk to us about how to cultivate patience because for investors like myself who are younger, that's a skill that we're going to have to know in and out, like the character trait we want to have. So help help us cultivate that and really step up out of that microwave society mindset. I think the biggest takeaway is you mentioned recreating yourself and what you have to be in order to have this type of career. And that's a long-term vision that you have to have in your head. I think if I break it down, okay, how do I show up today in order to have that long-term goal? And I do have a vision board. It reminds me every day, okay, why am I doing here? Why am I showing in this office and, and the screen and the Zoom, uh, mm-hmm. having another meeting, investor meeting, and having another? It's because I want to fall in love that process in order to, to see my vision in a few years. So I need to figure out, okay, what are the steps that I need to do? Okay, is it taking down another deal or looking and underwrite another deal? And also mimic to other people who are a few steps ahead of me. How many deals have they to underwrite? At the end of the day, it could be a numbers game, which it is. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to underwrite. The metrics that I heard is like 100 deals for, and then you put in 
10 offers and then you have probably one that shows up mm-hmm. at least and yeah. uh, we did 150 so <laughs> we went a little over but but each deal that we look up if it makes us feel like we are getting closer and then of course there are uh, there are deals that we had to walk away and we spent money yeah. um and yeah. that sucks it hurt a lot and it was <laughs> before but at the end of the day, we're like, okay, it's better to walk away now than having headaches later. It is part of the business and you have to accept that risk. And that's why you're here. You're active, you're an active investor. So you have to accept the business risk that you have to walk away in some deal. You have to say no, and you have to suck up some losses. Mm-hmm. And yep. You just have to figure out how to pick yourself up and look at the next deal. Sure. I would add, especially as you're brand new, you know, it, it take you're going to look at a lot more deals than I would say a very experienced underwriter and experienced team. And you know, if it takes a hundred for the average team, expect you know 150 to 200 because the first 50, you're really going to be learning how to underwrite. Mm-hmm. Expect that long road getting that first deal because it's the educational process that you're going through. The first deal you underwrite, no matter what your numbers say, you probably shouldn't make an offer on that just because you really don't know what you're doing yet. But it takes, in my case, it probably took 30 or 40 deals that I underwrote before I started to understand how the different parts of the the spreadsheet actually worked or how, you know, what mm-hmm. levers you can pull to to change some of the returns and whatnot and what the big parameters were, what, what the things that mattered were. So mm-hmm. I, I would say you're going to underwrite a lot of deals. You're going to look at a lot of deals before you get your first one, more so than, you know, an experienced team does. That's it for us. Is it because we're also like background auditors and there's three of us? There's a lot more, <laughs> a lot more discussions and figuring out, okay, what is a good deal and you're at an out appetite and a threshold. So I think it's also getting that used to that before you pull the trigger on that on, on, on a deal that you want to put an offer on. So Yeah. I'll just add on to that, you know, in, I think you implied it, but didn't say it outright, but you have to have your criteria of what a good deal is before you start looking mm-hmm. at deals, before you start yes. making offers. Yep. Set that criteria before that way you're not manipulating things or, well, you know, this could work. Have a clear criteria of what a good deal looks like. And that way, when you're underwriting, when you when you look at a deal and find one, you're like, yep, this, this meets my criteria for putting an offer in. Yeah. My next question for you, how do you balance learning with taking action? Anyone will tell you. I learn, I learn, I learn. I actually took a strengths test about six or eight months ago, and it tells you what your top five strengths are. My top one was visionary. So that just talks about us. That goes back to us earlier saying you have to have a vision. So I was like, great. I love that. My next one was intellect, which means that I love to learn. I love to read the news. I love to read books. I'm the person that's at home on a Friday and Saturday night reading books about things my people my age don't care about like quantitative easing the bed all that kind of stuff so how do you overcome being or how do you avoid being an over learner and really balancing like learning with doing not saying that learning is important because it absolutely is but I do realize that it can kind of prevent you from taking that first step because you feel like you have to know it all I can relate Michelle (laughs) 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 because I I do that because we we're um I am what they call risk averse investor being coming from an audit background, uh, I learn research a lot, and yeah. it's probably I take 150 deals before we get to a first deal. But I think what you're 
we're asking is okay, how do you get from reading and podcasts and learning and conferences and applying it and push yourself out there and actually trying it? And I think you just have to figure out how to get get up and pick up that phone, like how you do it in your real estate career. How do you actually get to uh, in front of a client? Mm-hmm. You have to overcome your own your own fears and just go there. But there there's a lot. There are a couple of things that I feel like it's helpful. It's I surround myself in a tribe. I wasn't in a network that where people are doing multifamily. That there was not. Even though I, I am in financial firm and they do take down large deals like mall, shopping malls and and I see those process and due diligence and everything. But not in anyone in the corporate world uh, are thinking of taking down multifamily million dollars on, on deal themselves. So I think first of all is just having figure out uh, how to surround yourself in a, in a similar group. And that actually people are actually doing the work and actually doing their process and doing their daily tasks in order to get to those deals. Because if you surround yourself in those environment, you are more willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And no one wants to be left out, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you push each other. There's a competitiveness and there's yeah. um, you don't have as much as a limiting belief or, you know, I can tell you like your your friends and family are not going to be there <laughs> in the beginning. Or at least for mine, like us, the surrounding, they they don't understand it. They see it as this like sounds like a scheme or something. They don't understand, and and when people don't understand, it's it's hard for them to support you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you gotta figure out how to find your support group, and 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 uh, and then apply it. Uh, it's just actually learning from other people. I like to do job shadowing a lot, and so I I provide value to other people by about contributing my my audit skills, I guess, my technical analytical skills or underwriting. And they, in return, they help me be a better person in that and show me a, a path. Okay, what process I need to put in place in order to mimic them and also basically a role model, right? So you can look up a few steps ahead of you. At any point in time, like in, right now, I feel like we need to continue. I feel like we're going to, we went up a step in our career in real estate multifamily, but I feel like, okay, once you get there, you feel like, oh my goodness, there's a hundred more steps <laughs> ahead of you. Yeah. So I had to figure yeah. out, okay, who yeah. else is out there that now I, I have to mimic and continue to show up and continue to walk down that vision of the path I'm looking for. So just try to like surround yourself and mimic to the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, something, something you said reminded me, you know, early on, when I decided that I want to do multifamily, I was excited about the prospect and I started telling everybody I knew. And the typical reaction up front was, that sounds great. <laughs> Have fun, you know? And it was, we still like you and appreciate you, but I'm not interested, you know? And that that's typically the response that I got. And it was, it was surprising. I think, you know, Maggie, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you put yourself around the people who are doing what you want to do. Put yourself in the groups where people can can support you and mentor you and then mimic what they do. I like that. And then what what I found my, myself is now I'm trying to get into rooms with people that are at higher and higher levels. Four years ago, I was happy to be in the same room with people who owned one apartment building. <laughs> and now I'm trying to get into rooms with people that are tackling you know, 50 to $80 million deals at a time. Mm-hmm. 
to learn from them because that's that's next yeah. level for me. I truly, truly believe that. But unfortunately, we're out of time and we're going to have to wrap things up. One last question for each of you. Maggie, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, we have a website called Sage Investing Group. We also have Instagram and Facebook. And uh, I'm sure, Brian, you can share those links. Absolutely. I will do that. And Marche, same for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, so our website is being built um, since we are new, but I am on social media, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn um, specifically, and you can always reach out via email. Ryan will drop my email in the chat if anyone would like to do coffee or Zoom. Just Mm -hmm. let us know. All right. Thank you very much, ladies. Very much appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.